0: hello hello everyone this is the frankly daniel show and yes i'm the daniel in the frankly part of this enterprise it's my weekly exercise of our first amendment rights thank you for joining me and it's an honor to be here today with you. My show today is entitled, Can One Vote Make a Difference? <laughs> yes. Greetings and hallucinations, folks. These days, it's mostly hallucinations. In the past 10 days, Americans have been invited to openly participate on Twitter without the fear of suspension or harassment by the Twitter company controllers. It's an incredible breakthrough, all because some guy named Elon Musk is buying Twitter, and he's a self-labeled or self-described free speech absolutist. (laughs) Strange, isn't it? With our First Amendment to the Constitution, the very first item in our sacred Bill of Rights, being that of the right of free speech, a right derived from natural law, that we've been beaten down so low by the radical media and progressives that we're depending on the richest man on the planet to step up and rescue a slice of free speech on social media. But the radical progressive just couldn't leave well enough alone. This is just one platform. Why all the hoopla about it? No, no, it, the political hack, you know, that guy called Alejandro Mayorkas, our secretary of uh, Homeland Insecurity, he decided to drop this on us last week. Just a few weeks ago, uh, I engage with secretaries of state from all over the country uh, to focus our efforts on election security. Uh, we have just established a miss and disinformation governance board in the Department of Homeland Security to more effectively um, combat uh, this threat, not only to election security, uh, but to our homeland security. Uh, addressing all aspects of election security, um, given, of course, the midterm elections that are upon us and the fundamental uh, integrity of our democratic processes that is at stake. Excuse me, but did you catch that last phraseology? (laughs) Addressing, addressing all aspects of election security, given, of course, the midterm elections that are upon us, And the fundamental integrity of our democratic processes. Surprise, surprise! This announcement to Congress was a bombshell surprise. Like, whom the heck put you in charge of mis- and disinformation? This question looms especially large since the appointed leader of this new Department of Homeland Insecurity, the Disinformation Governance Board, is none other than Miss Nina Jankowicz. Now, Miss Jankowicz who only a month ago expressed her fears of, quote, free speech absolutists like Elon Musk taking over social media platforms, is now in charge of her own platform. Jankowitz, who supposedly started work at DHS on March 2nd, she did a national public radio interview on April 16th, reacting to the news of Elon Musk trying to take over Twitter, uh, well, you didn't think she was, she was going to go to Fox News with Sean Hannity to make this announcement, did you? So, you know, that's a good old reliable NPR. She said, I shudder to think about if free speech absolutists were taking over more platforms, what would that look like for the marginalized communities all around our world? The marginalized community. Are you in a marginalized community? No, we all know what they're talking about. The rest of us are racist. They're going to be talking about all the stupid things we say to the marginalized communities and keeping that straight, especially since the midterms elections are nearly upon us. Most of the criticism of this board, dubbed the Ministry of Truth, in reference to George Orwell's book, 1984, that he published in 1949 as a warning against totalitarianism, has been scathingly negative and yes there's a republican movement afoot in congress to stop this nonsense but predictably there's not one democrat vote in the house or the senate to do anything about it they think it's just fine so let let's let's hear from carl Rove, who writes for the wall street journal and and get his take on the disinformation governance
1: board
2: Look, this is not a would-be hire. She's been at this job for two months. We just found out about it yesterday uh, when Secretary Mayorkas gave his testimony before Congress. And I'm asking, what the heck were they thinking? This is an important issue. The Homeland Security Department ought to be on the lookout for foreign attempts to influence American public opinion through the use of the Internet, misinformation or disinformation. But instead, they appointed somebody to this job who's a hack and a partisan political hack. This is a woman who attacked the Hunter Biden uh, laptop story by saying it was a a Trump campaign diversion and promoted those kind of attacks on the Hunter Biden uh, laptop for months and months and months. This is a woman who promoted the the Steele dossier. Talk about being taken in by Uh, by disinformation she was suckered into it this is a woman who has said the first amendment to the constitution of the united states of america marginalizes communities of color what in the heck are they thinking putting this woman in charge of a vital committee that ought to be substantive thoughtful and above reproach
0: my nerves i can't remember hearing carl so hyped up this disinformation governance sport certainly has Pushed Carl's buttons, or as they say in today's lingo, he's been triggered. So let's ask Carl what authority he thinks this governance board is going to have. It has no
2: statutory authority to step in and do something against somebody. They may be able to come out and publicly condemn them. They may be able to come out and say, this is happening. But the credibility of this uh, of this board is shot already by the fact they appointed this woman. And they knew it. They appointed her apparently two months ago when we find out about it yesterday. The real purpose of the board is to distribute money. It does have authority to distribute money. And they've made it clear, Mayorkas has made it clear, that they're going to put a priority on minority communities who are being misled by disinformation with a special emphasis on Hispanics. Now, let's think about that for a minute. What is the one group in the electorate this year Democrats are nervously shaking and, and, and their hands over because they're afraid that they're going to see significant drop in the support for a Democrat candidates, The Hispanic community. So this is a t- this sounds like a political uh, gambit being led by somebody who has no credibility in leading such a, a, a board concerning disinformation.
0: See, I told you Carl was hyped up. He could hardly keep his composure through those last sentences, and I don't blame him. Now, I, I can't imagine you haven't heard Nina Jankiewicz sing her Mary Poppins version of "A Republican Liars on Parade. But let me annoy you with it just one more time.
1: it's how you hide a little hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little idle lie. It's how you hide a, little hide a little lie when Rudy Giuliani shared that intel from Ukraine. Or when TikTok influencers say COVID can cause pain. They're laundering disinfo when we really should take note and not support their lies with our wallet, voice, or vote. Oh, information laundering is really quite ferocious. It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious by saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlets. so dis. Information's origin seems likely less atrocious. <laughs>
0: When information laundering is really quite ferocious, it's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious. Yep, I take it Nina uh, Jackowitz is going to sing the truth to marginalized communities of color. Oh, my nerves! If we if we don't use the frankly Daniel show on the America Out Loud radio network to talk about some of what's going on here in america then where can we talk about what's going on here in america about what's happening to our america now my concern is that in the democrats view of democracy free speech when you attempt to exercise it could cost you a fine or a jail sentence in the very near future well moving along today i'm totally prepared to deliver a show I'm cleverly calling Keep Your Gender-Picking Hands Off My Child. Now, this show is meant to be a follow-up on my show entitled Whose Children Are They? that aired last week. But if you haven't noticed, a few really shocking and critical events have popped up and out of the darkening, deeply troubling, ugly gray skies that cloud so much of our politics today. Hey, right off the bat, let let me ask you if you remember this.
3: You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables, right? The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. And unfortunately, there are people like that. And he has lifted them up. He has given voice to their... Websites that used to only have 11,000 people now have 11 million. He tweets and retweets their offensive, hateful, mean-spirited rhetoric.
0: Yes, that was none other than good old bad Locker Up Hillary Clinton in 2016 during her presidential race against you-know-who. Make America a great again, Donald J. Trump. Now, let me ask you if you heard this just the other day out of our emperor with no clothes, a.k.a. Joe Biden. This is about a lot more than abortion.
3: What happens if you have uh, a state ch- changes the law saying that 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 children who are LGBTQ can't be in classrooms with other children? Is that is that legit under the way that the decision is written? What are the next things that are going to be attacked? Because this MAGA crowd is really the most extreme political ex- organization that's existed in American history.
0: History? The, the worst in history? This, this MAGA crowd is the most extreme political organization that exists in American history? As a, as a lifelong student of the American Civil War, I have to differ. My vote for the most extreme political organization in American history goes to the Deep South's Democrat Party before the Civil War, during the Civil War, and for a hundred years after the Civil War. When you think of post-Civil War, think Ku Klux Klan. That, that was the Democrat Party. That's who started that. And think the real Jim Crow. In other words, the Southern Democrats. Those, those were the real Jim Crows the same Southern Democrats that Senator Joe Biden was always pointing out as some of his closest friends. That is until recently. Now he can't even remember their names, which just might mean that honestly, he just can't remember their names. Unfortunately, our children in elementary school who are now majoring in gender and sexual orientation studies will likely never get to the true history lessons as to who was responsible for slavery and the Civil War. Furthermore, most assuredly, they won't find this history in the teachers' union's 1619 syllabus on extremists in political parties in America. Now, I I was watching television when Joe Biden was trying to sell us a distraction that he's paying down the national debt and that this is something Donald Trump never did. quite to the contrary, according to Joe, as as, as if this made anything better at the supermarket, the pharmacy, or the gas station, or any place else you had to spend money. And and forget about buying a house nowadays. People are, are having to take out loans to pay for gas. How is anyone going to be able to buy a house with mortgage rates climbing? And at the end of Joe's patting himself on a job well done, he decided to spew this crap about MAGA crowds. Or is it MAGA crowds? I can never seem to get that right. All this in an effort to supersize Hillary's basket of deplorables. I feel compelled to to share with you something quite private about myself. I'm, I'm proudly a member of the basket of deplorables. I'm also a proud member of the MAGA crowd, or MAGA crowd. I'm also a male, white, and a parent of three sons likely making me eligible for the Democrats' fictitious domestic terrorist list. This despite, I don't think my membership in these very American political and demographic categories has anything to do with extremism. As God is my witness, I am not a racist, sexist, homophobic, gender phobic, or Islamophobic, white privileged male with white supremacists or any other such phobia. But but there is one thing for sure. Democrats are, should I say, radical progressives parading around as moderate Democrats. These people are beyond any doubt obsessed with Donald Trump. And they're scared crazy about the millions of us that want our America back from them. But by theft, cheat, fluke, or mob rule, we let them occupy the White House and Congress these past 16 months. But now we want our America back. Unfortunately, we still have 185 days until the midterm election. So the rock throwing has really just begun in earnest. And, uh, and what's, what's this comment about, Joe? What happens if you have uh, a
3: state ch- changes the law saying that, that, that children who are LGBTQ can't be in classrooms with other children? Is that, is that legit under the way that the decision is written? What are the next things that are gonna be attacked?
0: I'll get into this later on the show, but come on, man. The Supreme Court's possible ruling on Roe v. Wade has nothing to do with the LGBTQ elemental PQRX community, and certainly not children in classrooms. Talk about demagoguery. Everything with the Democrats is about fair, 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 or it's racism, and then more fair. So, allow me to plow ahead and get this off my chest. I'd like, I'd like to ask you a personal question. If it's too personal, you're, you're under no obligation to answer it. And I'll completely understand. Uh, really, here it comes. R- ready? Do you believe one person can make a difference? I'm not putting any qualifications on this question. It's just a straight up do you believe one person can make a difference? Now while you're thinking about it let me share with you that I've been thinking about it too. Perhaps the answer to this simple question depends on whether you're an optimist or a pessimist. Now this dichotomy between being an optimist and a pessimist didn't really help me answer this question. I'm sort of a glass-half-empty, a glass-half-full kind of guy. Depending. So let me ask, uh, did you vote in the last election? Now, if you did, whether you realize it or not, you believe one person can make a difference. Honest, that's what I believe. One vote by one person can make a difference. I know we usually don't think about ourselves in this way, that we could be that person that makes a difference that we could be that important person, that woman or man that changes the conditions that we all live under, or that one individual who ends the objectionable tyranny of those who would control our lives, that shining lone stand-up all-American person of the year, of the decade, heck, perhaps of the century, who steps forward and votes for the rights of Americans. You see, I have to believe I'm a difference maker. Because if I'm not, I have no need to stay around. I do believe that my maker, that some higher power put me here for a reason, and that that reason just might be to make that difference in my life, in my family's life, my community and my state and my country. Perhaps those of you who've just joined the military felt this way while you were on assignment. That you were there to make a difference. So maybe, I'm just fooling myself into believing that that I'm important. But I believe that you're important too. Why else are you here? When you see how close some of these recent past elections have been, you come to understand that one vote, a single vote by several people who believe they can make a difference in the outcome, can make that crucial difference. I've seen it. After all, I've lived 73 years and through two life-threatening bouts with leukemia. Apparently, the good Lord wants me to keep on voting. But, this I know for sure. If you don't vote, you can also be that one person who makes a terrible difference. Even, you may come to find that the difference that you've made by not voting was a terrible mistake. I'm going to share some, some confidential information with you. I trust you'll Keep it to yourselves. I made a difference in the 2018 election in Florida for governor, for our Republican senator, and for our Republican state legislature as well. I voted for them all. I'm so proud of myself because I'm living a much better, a remarkably better life these past four years in Florida because of my vote. And yes, I'm proud of myself and proud and appreciative of all those who stood up and voted for this state's current conservative leadership. I'm delighted so many Floridians decided their vote, their selfless act of voting for the Republican slate in Florida, made a difference. Now, if you live in Florida and have visited any other states that have ice-blue totalitarian progressive governments, then you you know how different living here in Florida is. Do you know by how many votes our governor, Ron DeSantis, won his race by? Take a guess. What do you think? 100,000, 200,000, 500,000? 36,000 votes. 36,000 votes in a state of 22 million and growing by a 1,000 new residents a day. Only 36,000 votes separated Ron DeSantis from his opponent, Andrew Gillum in 2018. By the way, I'm, I'm proud of Florida. I'm proud Florida had the presidential count in 2020 completed by 11 p.m. on the final day of voting. Florida is a state ridiculed in the past for voter fraud, it, but it's emerged as one of the highest rated voter integrity performance records. Oh yes, the last presidential election there was rampant voter fraud across scores of critical Democrat election precincts, and there's more evidence, more more evidence emerges every day about the repugnant mail-in voter fraud in these Democrat strongholds, the vote harvesting that went on. You know, Democrats follow the votes like they follow the science, and they make it up along the way. Let me ask you, have you heard of any Democrats complaining about being cheated at the polls in the 2020 presidential election? Oh, they seem just tickled pink with the outcome. But uh, let me remind you that Governor Ron DeSantis and Senator Rick Scott nearly lost their races due to voter fraud happening in heavily Democrat precincts during the 2018 state elections. Now, an extensive state audit found that the 2018 election in Broward County, big county, was marred by waste, extra votes, unnecessary delays, extravagant costs and potential voter fraud. Mind you, this was just one county in Florida. Much of the same occurred in Palm Beach and other heavily Democrat districts in Florida. Candidates at the time, Ron DeSantis and Rick Scott, sued Brower County and other Democrat-controlled counties during the vote count in order to preserve evidence of mismanagement that favored Democrat candidates. I shudder to think if those 36,000 Republicans and independents had decided to stay home in 2018. One person and one vote can make a difference. Now please don't be lulled into thinking that your candidate for state office or Senate or congressional representative are going to win because the polls say they're way ahead of their Democrat opponent. Democrats' only hope, their only hope is that you'll buy into an excuse to use your time differently and forego voting altogether. The social malady we must guard against is complacency. Our busy lives, you know, they're so busy these days. There's an undertow. There's an undertow and urge of distraction. And it's easy just to back off and and let somebody else determine the outcome. Haven't you heard people say, my vote probably doesn't count anyway? Wrong. There are those among us who also say, if, if, if I go and vote, my vote will just be canceled by someone on the other side of the issues. Uh, therefore, what's the use? Think about it this way. It's you who may be blocking someone on the other side from winning these election battles. That's what's important. One vote does make a difference. If you don't vote, their vote stands and wins the day. There's only one thing that Democrats fear. There's only one thing that's going to start this nation back to recovery and growth, and that one thing is voting Democrats out of office. Have you heard this before? If not, let let me share this item of social psychology or sociology, if you will. One of the most significant social phenomena known about the American public is something referred to as loyalty, voice, or exit. Again, loyalty, voice, or exit. Now, people are either satisfied and loyal to the policies of their government, or they use their voice and vote to change the system. Now, when voice fails, Americans resort to exit, and they leave for where they can uh, remain free and enjoy the liberties of our Constitution, says that we're entitled to by natural law. But when loyalty to a system and a government is lost, and exit is too expensive, or just ridiculously impractical, we come back to voice. And this is where most of us find ourselves today. But will we use our voice? Oh, yes, uh, Twitter's fun, and so is Facebook. But I'm not talking about these social media avenues for exercising our voice. I'm talking about our political voice. Will we take the time to learn about who's running for what office in our local county, and state elections? Will we contribute resources to our preferred candidates so they can get their messages out to the public? Reclaiming our America is 185 days away, but it's still far from becoming a reality. And it will never be so if we don't vote. So be that one person who makes a difference. Well, it's about time to hear from Kamala or Kamala or... Vice President Harris.
1: It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Every day it is time for us to...
0: Take a break, a very short break, and then it's time to come right back, because every day it's time to come back and hear the rest of the story. And do I have a lot of important information? You'll be happy you made the time to come back and hear. So hit the head, hit the fridge, and hurry right back. You know you're loved here on the Frankly Daniels Show. And I'm not kidding.
2: Look, I'd like to make a rocket science out of it, but I can't. Povidone iodine nasal sprays work by reducing the viral load, reducing the viral burden, and making it easier for your body to overcome all these airborne pathogens. Do yourself a favor. Check out the banner ad on americaoutloud.com and use the promo code OUTLOUD to stay protected and get 20% off Stay protected with CoFix Rx.
0: As Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com liberty and justice for all. Let's get real. Let's get loud. On America Loud Talk Radio, this is McCullough Report. Are you tired of your tired vitamins? Consider Healthy Cell. These are pill-free vitamins that are in convenient gel packs. Uh, I like the focus and recall Supplement. I use this a lot. You know, your brain uses a lot of energy and it depends on a variety of micronutrients and vitamins. Boost your short term focus and long term brain power with Healthy Cells Focus and Recall Vitamins. So go to healthycell.com, use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any Healthy Cell product. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio.
1: Is a record player the best way to listen to music? Of course not. So, why are you still taking vitamins that haven't been upgraded since the 1930s? Even if your vitamins aren't hard to swallow, it's time to upgrade to Healthy Cells' pill free, patent pending microgel supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. They taste great. Convenient on the go, and they're more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Hello, hello,
0: and welcome back to the Frankly Daniels Show. Okay, okay, I, I promised to calm down, and slow down, and, and apparently turn the volume down. Now, during the break, my wife poked her lovely head into my broadcast room to tell me that there are people gathering outside of our townhouse, and they're cheering. Well, I said, that's good news, isn't it? It could be a lot worse. They could be part of that those borderline crazies from Ruth sent us who are gathering at, at the homes. Be, yes, the homes of our Supreme Court constitutionalist justices to harass their families and neighbors over the fiction that the Supreme Court is poised to strike down abortion in America, which of course is a lie. And my darling wife of 40 years then reminded me about the last notice we received from the homeowners association for allegedly creating a disturbance in the neighborhood. I reminded her it was allegedly so. I do hate disturbing the tranquility of our serene community here in pristine Clearwater, Florida, but sometimes you just have to say what you have to say. But she, she reminded me that we don't want the Biden, the Biden ministry of truth to come knocking on our door with cameramen from CNN. Mm, I, I agree.
3: You cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for, what you care about. But I like to debate this gentleman. And I said, no, I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. You got to be ready to take a punch. You gotta be ready to
2: throw a punch.
3: You should take note of that on both levels. That this isn't they're not gonna let up and they should not. Get
2: up in the face of some Congress people. It does you any good running away from Donald Trump. I think you need to go back and and punch him in the face. How dare he say the things he does? Of course I wanna punch him in the face. Right. There we go. Yes!
1: Yes! I have thought an awful lot. About blowing up the White House.
2: When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? (laughs) But Michelle White says that, you know, when they go low, we go high. No, no.
3: When they go low, we kick them. Because this MAGA crowd is really the most extreme political organization that's existed in American history.
1: Those Republican leaders who are trying to weaponize the use of the law against women. Well, we say, how dare they? How dare they tell a woman what she can do and cannot do with her own body? How dare they?
0: This is the same group gearing up to punch out pro-life people in the face and the six conservative Supreme Court justices over supposedly outlawing abortion, which of course is a lie in itself no one at the Supreme Court is outlawing abortion. The court is simply correcting a gross error it made 49 years ago when they took it upon themselves to create a right that doesn't exist in the Constitution. And people have been saying this for 49, they were saying it before 49 years. The Supreme Court instead is saying if people want abortion, then they have two constitutional ways to establish that right. Because currently, it's not in the Constitution. It's not like Prego. It's in there. It's just not there. Their state can create an abortion law and have it voted on by the state's citizens. So a state can self-determine abortion law or no abortion law or conditions within the abortion law. Anything within there is within their right to establish. Or they could pass a federal law granting abortion rights to all Americans, which apparently is what the Democrats are trying to do between now and November when they take a shellacking, hopefully take a shellacking in the voting booth. However, this latter pathway is is open to constitutional challenge as well. So if Americans want a nation, a nation of abortion rights, a nation of options for abortion rights, then the best path is to write An amendment to the Constitution. We've done that 27 times. Now, how does this work, you might ask? An amendment may be proposed by two-thirds vote of both houses of Congress. So, in other words, if the Democrats got together, they'd have to get 67% of the House members to vote positively on some worded amendment to the Constitution, and then they'd have to get 67% in the Senate to approve the same uh, a language in an amendment. And if you think that's possible in today's divided world, just forget it. So it probably isn't even worth going through all the conniptions you have to go through to get an amendment. But uh, let's go through it all the same. If two thirds of the states request a convention of states, in other words, they can just bypass the, the House and Senate all together, and the states can get together and draw up an amendment, a, a, an abortion amendment. Now, uh, uh, if the proposed amendment, after either the House and Senate go ahead and and put some language together and send it out as an amendment, or if the the state's conventions come up with some kind of amendment, they've got to send it out to all 50 state legislatures. Now, these legislatures have to vote on uh, uh, whether they're going to approve, whether they're going to accept the language in this amendment, and they approve of it. And they usually have 7 to 10 years to get around to doing something like that. 75% 75% of them have to approve the amendment for it to become an amendment to the Constitution. And, and that just isn't going to happen in today's world. And that's one of the reasons the Democrats are so peeved about the whole thing, because they know that there's no way that 67% of these legislatures, uh, representative legislatures voted in by the citizens of those states is going to approve anything uh, like this. They would prefer to leave it up to individual states. Which is the other thing that, obviously, the Democrats aren't very confident in. You know, you can still get an abortion right up to the very moment of, of that child crowning to be born, okay, uh, in New York or in California or in Illinois or some of these states that have just gone completely ridiculous on abortion. I mean, they've, they've gotten even more extreme. Talk about trying to limit uh, these trimesters or when you, it's possible to have an abortion to where really, you know, there's the least uh, damage in some people's minds uh, that, that can be done to, uh, to, to a potential baby. But uh, this business of anytime, anywhere, anywhere along the gestational cycle is just an abomination. But the you know, Democrats are really worried that you know, there's at least uh, 27, maybe 30 states that are going to put really harsh limits on abortion. And I think that the Mississippi law, uh, looking at a 15-week gestational period, was probably the most reasonable thing put forward. And I think a lot of people thought the Supreme Court was going to settle on that and say, let's let's draw back, let's use uh, the science, if people are all into following science. The science says at 15 weeks, you know, that, uh, that child Feels pain. They have their own emotions. They have their own reactions, and uh, we're going to draw the line here. And that it eventually the, the next increment, because the Supreme Court has always gone in increments with so many things. They don't decide these huge decisions all at once. But in this case, they really, they really have come about to that apparently, and and are just saying, you know, it. I'm sorry it's not in the Constitution. There's no such right. You can't even derive one. You know, all all these games of where you look at some of the language that was used back in the Griswold uh, case that everyone keeps citing about privacy. Some of this stuff is really strange language about how they created a privacy right for abortion. But the Democrats are afraid that in many states, maybe even some of their states over time, people are going to say it's not okay to have an abortion at 39 or 43 weeks, it, it is just ridiculous. Now, in this whole amendment process, just to talk about that for a moment, and it's a point that a lot of people don't know, it, it, I think it's noteworthy to point out that the President of the United States has no official role to play in the constitutional amendment process, which I think is just great because Joe Biden is just a complete disaster. Talk about someone who's so brain-addled he can't even keep... Uh, uh, his slings and arrows straight. Now, I'm going to address the abortion in a few minutes, and, and next week on the next week's show is going to be totally devoted to it. But suffice it to say that the potential of the Supreme Court striking down Roe v. Wade and Casey in no way outlaws abortion. It's very simple. It very simply says there is no and has never been a constitutional right to privacy that ensures access to an abortion just because you have the right to use contraception to prevent a life from starting doesn't give you the same right to end that life after it has started. There are plenty of activities you can do in private that confer no legal or constitutional right to do them just because you're doing them in private. You can't kill people in private, you can't molest children in private, and and a host of other criminal activities that are illegal to do in private or in public. Now, the Supreme Court's tentative, and I emphasize, tentative decision to strike down the so-called established abortion law doesn't make it illegal or legal. It says the Constitution says nothing about abortion one way or the other. It's a matter entirely left to the states. It's part of what we call federalism. States retain these rights, and they should retain these rights. They should be retained as close to the public as possible and not centralized by some wannabe Marxist government in Washington. How, how can I simply explain how the court was able to establish and an even more damaging, uh, damagingly maintain their terrible abortion law creation over these past 49 years? I sort of view it as making a cake. Now, bear with me here. I haven't baked a lot of cakes, but I'm I'm going to use this analogy. Uh, you get the bowl out and you start throwing ingredients in, right? No one's exactly sure of the recipe. They're just all going to sort of chime in and, and throw ingredients as they sort of think they may have something to do with baking a cake. This cake is going to be the abortion cake but uh, they they do know what the cake is supposed to look like and taste like. I mean, they all have an impression in their mind what this cake is supposed to be. So they they start searching for what to put in the bowl. Uh, They grab the First Amendment, they grab the Fourth Amendment, they grab the Fifth Amendment, they grab the Ninth Amendment, and the Fourteenth Amendment, and they toss them all in the bowl. Now, no one is sure if any of these amendments is an essential ingredient but they throw them in just to be safe, you know. They can't hurt anything. That's, that's sort of the theory. Then they scare up several past rulings that appear to have something to do with privacy. Now, mind you, this entire time, the entire time this court, all nine justices, which I look back and say there were too many cooks in the kitchen. Nevertheless, this entire time, starting all the way back to 1961, 1961, mind you, The Planned Parenthood organization was in the kitchen looking over the shoulders of the Supreme Court justices guiding their ingredient selection. And there's all kinds of stuff written about this. You can read it. But Planned Parenthood has been there from the beginning. Planned Parenthood has had its fingers all the way up to their elbows, possibly all the way up to their necks, in the making of this abortion cake opinion. So is it surprising that the cake comes out as Roe v. Wade? I don't think so. Now, this cake is a triple-decker. It establishes a trimester plan, saying that in the first trimester, which could be the first layer of the cake, the woman has the total right to an abortion, no restrictions. Uh, the middle layer of the cake, the second trimester, is a little more challenging in balancing the rights of a woman to an abortion. Oh, right, by the way, the court has created out of whole cloth they didn't have a recipe. They just decided to make a cake. Uh, versus the rights of the state for concern for that new citizen growing along a gestational line. That's a little more blurry now. You know, maybe, maybe that's a person in there. Nobody really knows. And it goes back to all this stuff about when the quicken- quickening happens and, and a lot of other, you know, b- baloney. Now, the third trimester, that top layer, that trimester was heavily weighted in favor of of the states putting limitations on abortions. But when the court decided to reopen the issue of abortions in the Casey case, they decided to put frosting on the cake, completely obscuring and really obliterating the trimester scheme to the point that in today's blue state abortion clinics you could terminate a pregnancy anywhere along the gestational line right up to the moment of full-term delivery, which all but the most radical abortionists find repugnant, me included. Now, looking back at the original Roe v. Wade decision, Justice Harry Andrew Blackham was the author of the Roe v. Wade ruling. He was what Justice Sam Samuel Alito is uh, today with his draft opinion of the majority, okay? Now, it's it's interesting to note, in fact, I find it highly curious that Blackman was particularly invested in the case and the opinion of the Roe v. Wade decision since he had worked at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota during the 1950s and he researched the history of abortions there. He was an attorney, obviously. Others have pointed out that his experiences at the Mayo Clinic may be why he framed his and the court's opinion largely in terms of protecting the right of physicians to practice medicine without state interference. In other words, by counseling women on whether to pursue abortions rather than the right of women to bodily autonomy. So uh, the theory is is that he may have actually been arguing on behalf of physicians to do this kind of counseling and do these kinds of procedures rather than having anything to do with a woman saying, it's my body, it's my choice. Uh, more to come later, uh, a, a lot more. Uh, One more thing. Has anyone who is ready to get violent about this tentative ruling, have they actually read the Constitution of the United States? I mean, even more telling, have any of these hot-to-trot, would-be violent activists read the draft version of the court's possible Roe v. Wade and Casey rulings? It's online. It's super easy to find. It's a total of 89 pages, which isn't really... The typical word document 89 pages and it includes 30 of those pages that are uh, references that are cited within uh, the decision and the arguments uh, the historical documents so it's really only about 68 pages or so um, everyone of the radical left's fear inducing diatribes against this possible ruling are addressed and well addressed in this document it's not going to do all these other things and it states it's not going to do all these other things about privacy that the Democrats are out there screaming about. It's not going to end contraception. It's not going to undo uh, same-sex marriages. It's not, it's not going to uh, reverse uh, the uh, Brown versus education. It's not going to reinstitute slavery. Uh, oh, my nerves. But, but how do Democrats really feel about this potential ruling?
1: The decision would be an abomination, an abomination, one of the worst ever in modern history. Honestly,
3: I want to cry. Um, You know, I want to cry in so many different ways. Look, I feel really angry about this. And what I feel angry about is that an extremist Supreme Court is going to impose their views on the rest of America. Fundamental rights include interstate travel, include the idea of same-sex marriage, include same-sex relationships, just to name a few. Now this is essentially gone. What's next? As I was getting ready for the show this morning, I was thinking about Hillary Clinton and how this just might put her over the edge and make her jump back in. But I mean, it's just, this is the kind of news that rocks your world as a woman. No one is safe. This. Roe, overturning Roe will be a mass criminalization
2: event. It will undercut majoritarian democracy, undermine privacy protections, and pour gasoline on our already inflamed political divisions. This is just the beginning. Next, they'll go after gay marriage, and and maybe maybe uh, uh, the board the what is it, Brown versus Board of Education? Yeah, they already eroded our voting rights a little
3: yeah. bit. Yeah. So I see some I see fascism down the line here. Yeah. I don't know.
0: As I've already said, all of these complaints are very well addressed in this 98-page document. 68 pages in reality. Uh, You don't have to be a lawyer to understand the solid, logical, and well-cited rationale of Samuel Alito, an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States, for quite some time now. I highly recommend you read it. It's a remarkable piece of history. And, and a review of all that was before and all that's come after on this abortion issue, starting in the centerpiece, the Roe v. Wade. I, I, once again, I highly recommend you read it. Uh, b- by the way, when the court appears to lean left on decisions, have you ever heard of that extreme group of extremists? the MAGA crowd of folks, those extremists, you know, the most extreme political organization in American history, according to Joe Biden's recent evaluation. Have you ever heard of these badass Americans ever doxing the homes of the three? Actually, I think there's four when you include uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, but uh, the three radical progressive justices, did anyone go, go there uh, uh, from the right and harass those people? And as for Kamala Harris and her body, I'd never presume to tell a woman what to do with her body. I think the controversy really centers around what a woman wants to do with someone else's body. Now, as Al Gore would perhaps rephrase it, that other body is at the heart of a very inconvenient truth. Before moving on, let me comment on that string of voices in this last audio clip. First, no court is going to roll back same-sex marriage, interracial marriage, the right to use contraceptives, or the right to go all the way in transgendering by adults, or whom you decide to have sex with, or any other such limitations. The key element is that abortion involves a third party, This isn't the same as deciding to have your arm amputated or having a mole removed by your dermatologist. I don't know if you've noticed, but euthanasia isn't universally legally sanctioned across all 50 states. Who would argue that assisted suicide isn't a private matter, just between you and your physician? Now, perhaps someday it will be, but this should never be a federal decision and it certainly shouldn't be one for the Supreme Court to make law out of, for it is rightly left to each state to decide that for itself. Second, the possibility of this decision on abortion sending Hillary over the edge is completely moot. Hillary has been demonstrably over the edge for the past 30 years. I consider her the female version of Humpty Dumpty who fell off a wall, a very high wall, And all the Queen's horses and all the Queen's men can't possibly put Hillary back together again for another presidential run. Abortion isn't going to be criminalized in America. But there's going to be limits as to when you can legally have an abortion in any state. Third, no, it's not true. Returning abortion to the states to decide isn't the death of majority democracy. By the way, which is redundantly redundant. By definition, in a democracy, the majority rules. The problem for the Democrats is is that they, they can't muster majority of voters in every state in the union to vote abortion or any other number of woke ideologies into law if you have to go state by state to do it. They want to do it by central command. Now, I ask you, just because New York and perhaps Virginia have laws that allow abortion up to and including near-term delivery doesn't mean the folks in Florida wish the laws in New York imposed on them and vice versa. Now, allow me to, to share just a few paragraphs from Samuel Alito's majority opinion, which we still have to wait and see if it's going to be the opinion. Quote, Our decision returns the issue of abortion to those legislative bodies and it allows women on both sides of the abortion issue to seek to affect the legislative process by influencing public opinion, lobbying legislators voting, and running for office. Women are not without electoral or political power. It is noteworthy that the percentage of women who register to vote and cast ballots is consistently higher than the percentage of lazy men who do so. I put the lazy in, I'm sorry. In the last election in November of 2020, women who make up around 51.5% of the population of Mississippi constituted 55.5% of the vote in that year. Fourth, the release of this ruling in June, if it remains the same, will not pour gasoline on an already inflammable political division. My point is, with gasoline at five bucks a gallon and rising, I doubt anyone is going to waste it, even on a metaphor. Fifth, no, Joy Behar, we're not going back to separate but equal educational institutions because the Supreme Court decided to come clean about a wrong over unconstitutional abortion rights. Do you know we still conduct over 680,000 abortions in America every year? nearly 700,000 abortions every year, and unfortunately that number has been growing over the past two years. We are perhaps the most sophisticated, most technologically enhanced and gifted population to ever exist on the planet, but we still haven't figured out how to use contraceptives. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's simply incredible. I just don't have the time to use contraceptives, so if it happens, I'll just get an abortion. Now, let me back up and apologize. I know that every woman isn't this callous and that for many undergoing an abortion, it's an emotionally stressful procedure and a time in their lives. But after ending the lives of some 63 million would-be American babies, would-be sons and daughters, would-be girls and boys, would-be men and women, mothers and fathers, would-be grandparents, would-be neighbors, would-be police, teachers, doctors, nurses, plumbers, carpenters, would be accountants and conservatives. Okay, well, they probably wouldn't be all conservatives and Republicans, but probably the majority would be. But for sure, they would have been Americans claiming their birthright to citizenship ahead of millions of illegal aliens. Isn't this the greatest loss our society has selfishly suffered? All the would-have-beens, all the lost souls, and why? Oh yes, there are understandable reasons in some, but in very, very few actual instances. And no, this isn't all on women. Men are at least as equally questionable as to why they engage in casual, unprotected sex. You know, there's only been one immaculate conception, and there's not another one planned, not that I'm aware of. Oh please already i know there are instances like rape and incest and contraceptive failures etc 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 but come on not 680,000 a year so much to talk about and so little time in closing i want to say that our forefathers had their priorities in order when they made free speech our first constitutional amendment i thank them again today i'm daniel francis Baranowski. And you've been listening to The Frankly Daniels Show.